Today I want to share with you something that has been real and personal, not just to me, but to many of you as well. And that is the subject of loss and grieving. I think many of you know that my mother passed away on the 22nd of March this year, six months after discovering that she had a tumour on the brain. My mom was a vibrant, fit and healthy 65 year old and I thought I would have many more years with her. In fact, I was dreaming of decades. And this news of her illness caught me really off guard and everything happened just so quickly after that. It was just something, it was just so unexpected in my life that I actually at times had to pinch myself just to realize that this wasn't a dream, but this was actually a um, reality. The sudden loss of a parent that I was so close to and, and loved so much um, was obviously devastating. And I know that my loss is one of so many in our, our church family and beyond. Um, there are many of you who have lost loved ones, lost parents, lost siblings, and lost precious spouses, and are still navigating through this loss and through this grief. Life is full of losses. It's sobering when we think about the fact that absolutely nothing around us actually is permanent. You will go through seasons of tragedy, seasons of grief, seasons of loss, when someone who is important to you, someone you care about deeply, will be taken away. You will lose loved ones that you care about at some point. And with every death, there is a loss. And with every loss, there is grief. And that is the normal process of life. Grief is a natural process that everyone goes through after losing a loved one. So it is an emotion we all have to go through if you have not already had to navigate that space. I found it would be really helpful to speak about this today because if you better understand loss and grief, you'll be better prepared when you do have to face it. The message today may be to equip you for the future or to help those of you who are right now experiencing loss. People who have not grieved the death of someone close to them, they, they will struggle to understand, truly understand, the depth and duration of the emotional just trauma that, that navigating loss takes you through. Better understanding grief, better understanding loss can empower us as well to be gracious and sensitive in supporting and caring for those around us who have lost loved ones. I just want to start this time by reading two scriptures to you. The first one from Ecclesiastes 3 and the second one from Matthew chapter 5. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 to 8 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love 
and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then Matthew chapter 5 verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I first of all just wanted to address a bit more about understanding loss and grief. Grief doesn't come neatly to an end after a memorial service or even a few months or a year later. Dealing with grief and dealing with loss, it, it's a journey. And many people who've been tasked with understanding grief, they've developed these stage or, or process models to explore the way that people move through grief um, or to define distinct stages of grief. However, most modern grief specialists and most people who have grieved, they recognize, well, many people might have found these ideas helpful. Everybody grieves differently. And there is no single right or standard way to grieve. Grief differs considerably in intensity and in length from person to person and even amongst cultural groups. And to date, there is no grief stage theory that has been able to account for how people cope with loss, why they experience varying degrees and types of distress at different times, or how and when they adjust to a life without their loved one over time. Everyone's grief is unique. That grief cannot be rushed, and the length of that grieving process is different for different people. Still, most grief models acknowledge that there, there are broad stages of grief that most people experience. There is the initial period of shock and denial, especially when that loss is really sudden. Then there's that period of acute grief in which someone experiences just that intense emotional pain, which usually occurs in, in the early aftermath of a death. This is really like the raw stage of grief. And in that time, this grief can be so intensely painful and is often characterized by behaviors and emotions that would be considered unusual in normal everyday life. It, it can include these times of just intense sadness and just crying at, at sometimes unexpected times and for seemingly unrelated reasons. Numbness, irritability. You may also become preoccupied with thoughts and, and memories of the person who's passed on. You could have difficulty concentrating, lose track of time or become forgetful, have disrupted sleep patterns, lose your appetite, and have a relative disinterest in the other people and activities that normally you would have been interested in. And some people are also really impacted spiritually. And that they actually feel abandoned by God rather than carried by God at this time. And the intensity of their pain is so great that it can seem that their faith is having no impact on their suffering. As I've said, grief is not an orderly or linear process. You can feel as if you're moving forward in that grief journey and then all of a sudden there are just these, these waves of grief that hit you and knock you off your feet. And for most people, grief really is never fully completed. Grief has been described as a journey, not a process. And in this journey, most people, they will move from this acute grief 
to a later form of grief, which is called integrated abiding or prolonged grief, in which the one you grieve is easily called to mind, often with sadness and longing. But during this transition from acute to integrated grief, your wounds do begin to heal. But you never forget the people you have lost, relinquish your sadness or stop missing your loved ones. And there may be periods too when this acute grief is just reawakened. And this can occur around the time of significant holidays like, like Christmas, like birthdays, like anniversaries, important events within the family life or beyond, another loss, or just a really particularly stressful time. You know, the loss of my mum is now coming up on seven months. And for me, grieving her loss has been about learning to live with my new, forever adjusted reality. I will always feel the impact of not having her with me the side of eternity. On this journey through loss or, or in adjusting to our new reality, there's some very, very real struggles. And they're questions that sometimes really just have no answers. There are setbacks. There are deep disappointments. But on the flip side, I believe there are also revelations and opportunities for us to learn and to grow. I want to share with you some practical steps for, for navigating grief. And these steps that I share, I do with the acknowledgement and thanks to the valuable input that I've received from others in our church family who have shared their stories with me. The first practical step is to embrace hurt and pain as part of our faith journey. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are not immune from experiencing deep emotional pain. God's love doesn't eliminate suffering, the side of eternity, nor does it eliminate the emotional consequence of suffering. Jesus hurt. The shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Two words carrying so much complexity and so much depth. Jesus wept after speaking with Lazarus's grieving sisters, Mary and Martha, and seeing all the mourners around. He wept, even though he had come to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that in a few short minutes, all this weeping could be turned to astonished joy, to, to tears of happiness, and to just the spirit of worship. And so you'd think that Jesus would be really calm in this, in this storm of just sorrow and, and grief and mourning. But the scripture tells us in John eleven thirty three, he was deeply, he was greatly troubled and he wept. I think one of the reasons that he wept was just the deep compassion that he felt for those who were suffering. It's true, Jesus had let Lazarus die. He had delayed coming. He, he didn't speak healing from a distance like he had for the centurion's servant. But his reasons were good. They were merciful. But it didn't mean that Jesus took the suffering that it caused lightly. And even though Jesus chooses what will ultimately bring his father the most glory, and as in Lazarus's case, it required suffering and grief, he doesn't take delight in the suffering and grief itself. Jesus is sympathetic and he does understand our pain. And in Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, 
we get a glimpse of how the father feels over the suffering and grief that his children experience. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to sorrow through our losses, to wrestle with God when our losses are really hard to understand. Keep being honest with God, even in the wrestling and even in the hurt. I hold on to the fact that God is very present with me in my grieving and in my pain. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Dr. Larry Crabb was a Christian counsellor and an author who himself passed away earlier this year. And he spoke to the way that God uses the hard parts of grief to accomplish his work within each one of us. And he said that we as Christians are at the same time a saint, a sinner and a sufferer. And when we go through grief, we endure it as one within this three-part identity. Now, I just want to share some of his words with you there. First of all, we grieve as saints. He says, in the middle of grief, to remember that I'm a saint is to believe very deeply that there is new life within me that no suffering can destroy. In the middle of whatever disappointment life throws at me, I am alive in Christ. I am alive for Christ and I am alive to Christ. And then he says we grieve as sinners. To recognize that I am also a sinner gives me the opportunity to focus on God's forgiveness. It's good to face that you're a sinner in the middle of your suffering because you're not going to handle it perfectly. You're going to handle it badly at times. So to realize that you're a sinner is to celebrate grace and forgiveness. And then we grieve as sufferers. To realize that you're a sufferer at the same time that you're a saint and a sinner points you to your need and your right to trust in the hope that Christ offers. Suffering is not the bottom line for the believer, nor is it the final word for the sinner. Suffering rather becomes a God-given opportunity to gain an eternal perspective on life in the midst of our pain. Somebody also shared this other really beautiful quote with me um, very soon after my mom passed away. And I found it to be one that has been incredibly encouraging. It's a quote from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and it reads as follows. The most beautiful people we have known are those who've known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These people have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. What I love about that quote is that it reminds me that my story is not finished yet. And living with loss is actually now part of that story that God can and shall redeem. I can be shaped for the better through this time as I allow God to work what he wills in me through the loss that I'm going through. The second practical point is to let go of bitterness and to hold on to hope. 
I think it's really important to be honest with God about all of our questions and hurts and and to bring up the unanswered prayers um, that we have, have lifted up to him. My heart says that God took my mom far too soon. Uh, I cannot understand why now was the right season for God to take my mother home when she still had so much living left to do. But I've been very conscious that I need to make sure that I don't let a seed of bitterness take root in my spirit, especially bitterness towards God. Because there are times that we don't get to see the bigger picture in this lifetime. We might never fully understand why we lost a loved one too soon or why our prayers have not been answered in the way that we desired. But these truths stand in spite of all these unanswered questions. God still cares for me. He cannot see what I see. He knows what I do not know. His ways are not my ways. And he alone knows how my story is going to end. And I do believe that it will work out for my ultimate good. And more importantly, for his glory. And those truths stand true for each one of us. As we grow in our Christian life and experience, I think one of the marks of emotional maturity is we begin to realize that there are things in life that are just beyond our control. When we lose a loved one, there's no amount of wishing, hoping and praying that will bring them back. And we let go of bitterness by choosing to accept what cannot be changed. When we are confronted with loss, we come face to face with a reality that we, we actually never wanted to own. Coming to a place of acceptance about this can be deeply painful. And it's, to be honest, just quite awful. There are many things that you need to, to grieve in accepting this. When we choose to accept the changed reality that we are confronted with, we have to release to God our, our dreams that may never be realized. We have to grieve their loss. Tears will flow, and they must. But even though it may feel like it, this is not the end of the world. There is life after tragedy and loss. And in accepting and, and grieving this, I do believe we begin a new journey, and it is a journey of healing and moving towards a perhaps yet undefined future, but it is a future. Nonetheless, we can hold on to hope, even in the pain of our loss. Because one thing we never lose is the presence of the Lord who has promised to be with us always. That is a constant that you can depend on and lean into, even when the pain of loss comes sweeping in. The next practical step is to put things into perspective. Losses and tragedies have a way of putting everything into perspective. They remind us of what is really important. My season of loss has helped me to clarify what really matters. And the greatest things in life actually are not things. What matters are people and relationships and the memories that we build together. Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has another quote and she says, we run after values that at death become zero. At the end of your life, nobody asks you how many degrees you have, how many mansions you built, or how many Rolls Voices you could afford. That's what dying patients teach us. 
My loss has made me look with fresh appreciation at all the things that I have to be grateful for and all that is still in my life. I have always appreciated my family, but after losing my mum, I appreciate them even more. And I'm grateful that I can look back on great memories with my mother, adventures taken together, mother and daughter explorations and excursions. And it's made me more determined than ever to honour and to value the times that I have now with my family. So that should they pass on before me, I have no regrets in those relationships. It's been a season of being freshly aware of all that I need to be grateful for. At looking at what I still have in my life and being really thankful for that. And that's another really significant perspective shift. It's only when we truly know and understand that we have a limited time on earth and that we have no way of knowing when our time is up that we will begin to live each day to the fullest as if it was the only one that we had. This can also be a time to, to seek out new dreams and ways to facilitate your own growth as an individual um, as you begin to press in and seek God's plans for your new future or the, this new reality that you're now living in. The fourth practical step is to accept the support of others. We tend to withdraw from others when we're hurting, but you should never have to deal with loss and grief in isolation. There are times you need to be alone, absolutely, but you do need the support of others um, in this journey. We need to let, or we need to learn rather, how to let other people minister to us at this time. Because now is the time that you really do need to lean on people who really do care about you. Even if you've taken great pride in being strong and, and like self-sufficient, rather than avoiding people, allow friends and loved ones to draw close to you at this time. Spend time together face-to-face -face, um, with others and accept assistance that's offered to you in this space. And I think often people, they just really want to help you, but they don't know how. And so I think this is the time you need to just be really honest about what you really do need, whether it's a shoulder to cry on, a listening ear, or just someone to hang out with, or at times just your own space. But why we need the support of others is I think it's really important to get the perspective of others as well, um, particularly further into the journey. Because when we're in a season of loss, we sometimes don't get the big picture and the whole picture because our pain can give us tunnel vision at times. And it's helpful to have other people around us who help to broaden that perspective. It's also important to get support from people who know what you are going through. And I think why that's so helpful is that it helps to know that what you're going through um, is something that others actually do understand and I think can normalize sometimes um, what you are going as well. Make you realize you're actually not going mad, but this is how grief sometimes presents itself. So don't act all brave. Um, there's some wonderful grief counselors who can really be there to help you navigate this time. In our church, we also have the Grief Share course, which is this biblically based grief support group. And so many people have testified to just how um, significant that course was to them. 
and providing healing for them on the journey as well. And then find one or two significant friends too, I think, who can give you the freedom to be authentically you in your grief. Friends that allow you to cry, to in fact wail if you need to, or just fall on the floor in a heap. Um, whatever you need to do, friends that are safe in that space. This is also a season where you might need to develop new friendships as you navigate this new reality. And particularly if you've lost a spouse, um, you, you actually do now have all this extra alone time. And so it is an opportunity as well to, to look for new friendships and new interests that can be a really healthy outlet for you as you adjust to your new reality and can fill up some of those really lonely spaces. And then uh, the last practical step I want to share today is just plan to cry. Now, crying is an important part of the grieving process for many people, but I just want to say up front too that it is possible to grieve fully without shedding tears. And I, I know for, for many, tears can be slow in coming, but they will be released at the right time, and sometimes in unusual ways months later. But for other people, it feels like you are just full of tears. And those tears are just always threatening to spill out of you and like almost you feel like they're going to ooze out of every pore. And for you, that is this advice that I think is so helpful. Um, it's advice from a, a grief counsellor and it is planned to cry. Because actually, if you, there are times you just need to almost set time aside to say, you know what, I'm just going to have a really big cry now. And it's in a safe place. Um, where you can just cry and cry and cry and let it all out until, in a sense, you just feel everything. All those tears have leaked out of you. And having that big cry, how that's helpful is it really does reduce the stress and the emotions that you're carrying in that space. And you, you somehow just, you don't feel quite so emotional afterwards. In fact, quite the opposite. It's almost like you drain of your tears for a while um, but also that, that overwhelming sense of, of just being so emotional also just resides. And it's, it's like those tears can just recede for a bit and give you a bit more space to, to feel a bit more on top of things um, until they can all build up again for the next big cry. Um, but actually plan a time where you can just have a great big cry is some really good practical advice that's been given. And now I just want to speak to you, like, how do we support those who grieve? So perhaps you're not going through um, grieving and loss yourself at this time, but you know many in the church family who are, and you want to know how can I support, how can we as the church family support those who are grieving now and in the future? Because we do want to function as a community who does show love, who does show support, who does show encouragement and can give practical help to those who are hurting. How can we better get alongside those who are grieving? And here's some input from some of those folk. And the first tip is this, don't say anything, just hug. You know, people often don't know what to say to someone who's in the raw stages of grief and they can end up saying the wrong things, um, even though they're trying to be helpful. And so this practical tip is that don't feel that you have to fill the silence because it might well be that you fill it with inappropriate comments that actually hurt the person rather than bring any form of healing. And I think initially, especially when that grief is really raw, it's, it can be so hard to have to field inappropriate comments from others. And I think while friends absolutely mean well, and um, they even think they're being helpful, 
they can sometimes make insensitive or untimely comments that can cause a grieving person just to want to withdraw back into their shell and actually to feel hurt all over again. We don't have to offer pearls of wisdom in that initial stage of someone's grief. Just being there or even just giving someone a hug can be something that is so much more comforting than saying things that potentially could just open up fresh, wound, fresh wounds. And then secondly, we help them by giving them grace to grieve in their time. You know, culture tells us to quickly move through the grieving process. Being very honest, I think, you know, people can feel actually uncomfortable around others who are grieving. We don't always know what to do with other people's pain. We just wanted to, to go away and for them to get better. We don't like to see people hurting. But grief, as we've said, it's a, it's a journey. And for some, it's a journey that's never complete. Grief cannot be rushed. So please give people the time that they need and don't pressurize them to have to feel like they have to bottle up their emotions or just get on with their life. And then also we help them when we don't expect them to be the same as they were before. H. Norman Wright, who is a trauma therapist who lost his wife and two children, he said the following things. When well-meaning friends want their grieving friends to be back to their old selves, the grievers need to be very honest and say, I will never be back to my old self. I will become a new person. I will not be the same as you were used to. And then fourthly, we need to understand as well that coming back to church can actually be really, really hard for someone who's just suffered a loss. It can be hard to understand because you think, but our, our church space should be the place that's giving them support and a place where they can find the most um, comfort and love. But actually, grieving people find it really hard to come back to church. If you think, if you were used to going to church as a couple, you can imagine how awful it must be to come back to church now, being fully aware of the absence of your loved one who used to always be at your side um, in that church space. Being back at church can be one of the loneliest and hardest things, and it is an adjustment to this whole new experience of now coming to church on your own if you were used to going as a couple. Church without your loved one at your side is just hard. And sometimes it's a step that you just have to force yourself to do. Um, but make no mistake, it's a difficult step. And I think we need to be very sensitive to that and be very aware of that. And so we can practically help by, by coming alongside people or sitting with friends who are in this situation. Or even offering to give them a lift to church so they don't have to arrive on their own. And perhaps even arriving just a smidgen late so they're not having to deal with a whole lot of people before the service asking a lot of questions that might just make them feel really emotional going into church. I think the reason why it's hard sometimes to come into church as well is that when you're hurting after loss, I think you can want to just socially isolate um, because it can be overwhelming to be on the receiving end of so much well-meant care and to feel absolutely sincere questions people are asking. But sometimes you just, you just don't have the emotional stamina for people to ask you, you know, how are you really doing? And you just don't have the, the, the stamina to give a really honest answer to that without perhaps unraveling. My brother and his family with the same church as my mom and stepdad, 
and they found it super hard to be back there after she passed away. It was hard because seeing Kingsley there alone without her by his side just hit them. Um, it was just a physical reminder that, that she was not here anymore. She was gone. And the church family were just wonderfully caring. But being peppered with questions, you know, before and after the service as to how they were doing, actually, to be honest, was just too hard for them to feel in those first weeks after her death. And we just need to understand this and be sensitive to this. And then one other practical thing to note is that, you know, the loneliest time for people who have particularly lost a spouse is weekends and evenings. And I think particularly weekends are times that can be very, very difficult. And I think for a very, very long time afterwards, weekends are forever changed. And we can support those who grieve by phoning them on the odd evening for a chat or arranging a coffee date with them or some other outing with them on weekends and be mindful of including them um, in our social spaces too. So be, I think really think through and be mindful of who might be alone as you plan your social calendar and reach out to those who particularly in evenings and weekends find that time really, really hard. I trust that some of what has been shared today has been a practical help to you all. I want to, I want to close with a, a final quote from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. People are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out. But when the darkness sets in, their true beauty is revealed only if there is a light from within. As believers in Jesus Christ, we do have that light from within. We don't grieve as if we have no hope. We have hope because we trust in the God who created us. We trust in his love for us. We trust in his goodness. We trust that he is in control of our lives. And we know that Jesus has conquered death. As those who are in Christ, we always have hope because the darkness has never and will never overcome the light that has been revealed in the human life and death of Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I close with this poem by Michelle Launders called In Times of Loss. It's a poem that's also a prayer. We pray that in this time of loss, you'll feel God's love much more and that you'll find your comfort in the presence of the Lord. We pray God pours upon you his sweet, amazing grace and overflow your heart with peace as you live in his embrace. Father, I just want to really pray today for those who at this time um, are really struggling with the losses and grief that they have encountered in, in their journey of life. Lord, we lift up for you those who have lost loved ones, those whose grief is still so raw and who are hurting deeply. We want to pray, God, for just the ministry of your Holy Spirit to them right now. We want to pray for a deep awareness of your presence with them, your love for them, your comfort over them. And I pray too, Lord, that you would speak to us as the body and spur us on to be able to love and care for those around us who are hurting. 
Won't you bring to mind even people in our midst who might need just that coffee date or that call or just some encouragement and love in this space as they grieve. Father, we thank you so much for that truth that we know that we don't grieve as the world grieves. We don't grieve as those who are without hope. And so we want to pray that no matter what lies before us, that you would always fill our hearts with your hope and fill our hearts with your peace, that you would be honoured and glorified in our testimonies and in the stories of our lives that we are living out. May you receive all the honour and glory in that through the tragedy and through the losses as well as through the good times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.